much. And uh, it's good to be here again this morning. Uh, in case you're not aware, uh, Andrew and Debbie are up in Christchurch. Uh, it's Esther's 20th birthday this weekend. So they're celebrating birthdays for some reason. <laughs> yeah, they're... So uh, they'll be... I think they're travelling back tomorrow, so we'll catch up with them soon. So if you turn with me, please, in the book of Colossians and uh, continuing this, uh, this time of looking at uh, God's Word in Colossians. And so if you've got your Bible open at chapter 2 and just reading the first three verses again. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let's ask God's help as we look at his word. Father, open our eyes to behold the treasures that you have set before us, that we may behold Christ more clearly, more fully. And in so doing, our Father, that we may be captivated by his love and his grace and drawn closer to him. So bless us this morning, we ask in this way, through that ministry of your Holy Spirit in each of us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just getting some props for later, it's okay. One of the joys I find of uh, Christmases and uh, birthdays is getting gifts. Do you look forward to getting gifts at Christmas? When I was a kid, I just hung out for Christmas because I thought something special was going to happen. But uh, as I re- yeah, one of the real things I found was a joy was getting something which was a real surprise in a pleasant way. Okay, something which I hadn't anticipated, something which I hadn't sort of guessed beforehand what it might be. But as I reflected upon these many Christmases and birthdays, and I've had quite a few now, is however much each joy each gift may have brought, that that joy didn't last. Um, that that, that you know, some, sometimes the toys were eventually broken. Sometimes I took them apart to see how they worked. And they didn't quite go back the same way and didn't work quite the same afterwards. Or sometimes I just lost interest. And in some ways, this is sort of a parable to our whole human experience. And it reflects the tragedy of the human situation when we are cut off from God. Not only do we turn away from God, but we in doing so turn away from the one thing that can actually bring a deep sense of fulfillment into our lives. There's a hunger in the human heart for something which provides real satisfaction at the deepest level of our inner being. And of all the things that people have tried, whatever temporary thrill it may supply, everything fails to deliver. When I first became a Christian, I rejoiced because I knew now that Jesus was part of my life and that my sins were forgiven, that I had eternal life. All that was true and for an occasion of thanksgiving. But as I continued in the Christian life, I started to realise, as I've said on some other occasions, that it was not the case that Jesus was part of my life, 
but that Jesus was the whole of my life. It was a growing awareness that I was called by God as a disciple, a follower of Jesus, that Jesus the Christ was such that he wanted to and deserved everything. And I couldn't divide up my life into separate compartments and say, it's okay, Jesus, you can be here, but I'm going to do my own thing over here. No, gradually Jesus made it very clear to me that this very slow learner that I needed to honour him in everything because he was Lord of everything. And I discovered that as I did that, my joy and my sense of purpose and my satisfaction in every part of my life grew. And the joy was only spoiled when I made sinful and selfish choices, which was often. And I realized there was, not only was bowing before Jesus and everything, what I was called to do, it was also what I wanted to do. Something which was a growing desire in my heart. And what my heart desired and found in Christ was my true fulfillment as a human being was to be found in Christ. Now, the church at Colossae was going through a bit of a crisis. Starting to get hints of that in the readings that we've had. In chapter 1, it wasn't quite so obvious. But in chapter 2, these little undertones of caution and concerns, Paul is starting to bring to the fore. They had put their faith in Christ and had made a lot of good progress. And Paul rejoiced in all the reports he had received about them, as we see in the first part of this letter, particularly chapter 1. But Paul had also heard of some of the spiritual dangers which they faced. They had deviated in some very important ways from the gospel which they had first received. And some false teachers had come in and were seeking to introduce teachings to the church that would ultimately harm their progress and uh, harm their joy as followers of Christ. And so Paul writes to them, to us also, to point out what we really have in Christ. In his facts... In effect, he's saying to us, don't you know what you have in Christ? Why are you looking for something more when in Christ you already have everything? And so as we look at this passage this morning, we find it's truly amazing. And he says, that the, he says I want you to, to reach all the riches of the full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Well, let's stop and look at these two words for a moment. There's lots of words here we can look at. These two words, he uses the word riches and treasures. And one of the lies that Satan seeks to sell us is that to be a Christian is to give up so much that makes life worthwhile. That being a Christian means missing out on so much. You've heard of FOMO? Young people will know what this means. Sometimes using an abbreviation. The fear of missing out. That somehow that non-Christians have got something far better, something far more, something far more exciting than what we have. But no, says Paul, that is not true. And here's why, he says. We have Christ. Oh. Is that a boring answer? Is that an answer which is not all that surprising, really? If you're a Christian, if you have acknowledged your sin and failures before God and put your trust in Jesus to make you clean, then you have Christ. 
You belong to Christ and you cannot belong to him more than you do at this moment. You are his and he is yours. And that is forever. You cannot do better than that. But there is one thing that we can do better in. And it's very important for us to comprehend. Paul wants us to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. And this whole idea of reaching all of the riches of full assurance speaks of a process of growth in our understanding. And so says Paul, I'm working hard, agonizing, striving to help you come to this point where you realize more and more and more what it is that we do have in Christ. And so he says, in him, Jesus the Christ was hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. These words, wisdom and knowledge, come up a number of times in the scripture. You've heard them before. Let me just quote two verses, then I want to discuss what it means. In Proverbs 1, 7, we have, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. And in Proverbs 9, he says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight or understanding. And so the Bible intimately connects our beginning, that is the beginning of our knowledge and wisdom, to the fear of the Lord. And he's, what he's saying by implication is if we don't fear the Lord, we do not have the beginning of wisdom and we don't have the beginning of knowledge either. We are something missing out there. Without the fear of the Lord, we have no true knowledge or wisdom. Let's consider knowledge for a moment. I brought along something which I didn't prepare myself. I'm sorry. Anybody who goes shopping will recognise this. Okay. Um, what is it? Easy, you can read. Mint, okay. Now, it smells nice too. If we, we, we could sit there and do a lot of exploration of what this mint plant was about. We could look at the soil that it's in. We could look at the, uh, the root system. We could look at the, the leaves. We could understand something of its life cycle and how it reproduces and how it grows, the things that are needed, the water and the sunshine and all those other things which are necessary for its growth. And we could look at the biochemistry and the, the microbiology in the leaves and in the root system. And we could write textbooks on this stuff. We could measure its growth rates. We could come up with amazing truths and many amazing truths about this particular plant. But if we wrote such a comprehensive book on this plant, we would still not fully understand it. Why? Because there's something missing from the complete uh, purpose and, and, and a picture of this whole plant. Let me just give you another illustration. I'll come back to that one in a minute. Don't panic. Now, in my exploration of my garage, I come across some old books, and I come across this one. Um, it's really old, those of you who recognise it. The price also tells you something. It's $2.80. If you can get a book like that for $2.80 these days, buy it. <laughs> but imagine for a moment, you were given a book, and you opened it up, 
and somebody had done this. All right. Oh, think about it for a moment. You're reading through and you know, being an electronics fan, I could read through that and I, I know that there's in here there's something which occasionally makes sense. But I would have this deep sense that there's something not quite there. All right? I can, I can get some stuff out of this, but not the complete picture. And when we actually look at uh, the whole of life and ignore certain things, we don't get the complete picture. The real challenge for many people, of course, is they don't know that half the book's missing, that the reason for things is there. By looking at the plant itself, you cannot always work out the why of its existence. Why is this plant actually here in the first place? Well, let me point to you to a piece of scripture which tells us. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth, and every tree with seed and its fruit, and you shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth, and every bird of the heavens, and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. I think my garden is designed to feed white cabbage butterflies. <coughs> That's how God made them. And God says, it's very good, very good. How many of you like mint sauce? How do you like minty other things, the minty flavours? One of my joys is just taking a bit of leaf and just squashing it in your fingers. And there's the artificial smell, uh, sense never quite come close. And just, oh, my finger's going to smell like that forever now. Great. <laughs> and, and one of the things that God reveals to us in Genesis is that this plant and all other plants were created with a purpose. And it's not self-evident from the plant itself what that purpose is. We might guess that there's a reason to it, but one of the purposes of this plant was to provide food for us and the animals. And I just love smelling the scent, and it's been filling my kitchen for the last few days. And amazingly, God's purpose was not just to give us nutrition, but also the pleasure in that food. That's a blessing, is it not? And so when we actually understand God's revelation to us, we can see how this fits into the big picture of God's plan and purpose. And there's another scripture that we must take note of alongside this. In John 1, we are told, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And as we read further down in John, in chapter, uh, John chapter 1, John makes it clear to us that this word that he's talking about, this word that was with God, that word that was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. He is Jesus. And this word was, who was God, who walked on this earth, this Jesus is the same one who spoke and created all things. If you're reading through Genesis 1, the voice that you hear bringing everything into being is the voice of Jesus. Without him, we are told, was not anything made that was made. So Jesus created the mint plants, created the original ones, created those seeds, created those plants, created all the, the chemistry that was taking place that enabled them to live. 
And then he also gave them to us for our benefit and enjoyment. And as much a part of the truth about this plant as any observation or measurement that we could ever make is the why it was made and the origin of its, uh, of its uh, 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 God bringing it into being. And so we have the answer to the why, the purpose of that plant. And we don't have, don't have a chance to even begin to understand what this plant is about until we see past just what the plant is to what God tells us it is. Does that make sense to people? Now, can you go home and walk through all your garden now, all the weeds? God made them for a reason, usually to annoy me. But nevertheless, each of those things, however distorted they may have come in our perceptions now, God made all of them. And what's more, he keeps all of them going. The only thing that survives drought in my garden are weeds. We should perhaps learn how to use them. But there's another part of Scripture which is important for us. In Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 10, we have this verse. He says, Whoever is righteous has regard for the life of his beast, but the mercy of the wicked is cruel. Now, the original words actually are much more helpful to us. It literally says, the righteous man, which in the book of Proverbs is talking about the man of faith, the righteous man knows his beast. The righteous man knows his beast. In other words, a righteous man is able to look at the creatures that God has made, look at his own livestock, and he understands something of what they are in terms of God's plan and purpose. He knows his beast. And therefore he is able to uh, uh, um, treat that animal with integrity under the umbrella of God's plan and purpose for that animal. So we don't abuse the animal. We don't treat them with cruelty. By contrast, even the ones who are the, 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 uh, the wicked, the ones who reject this knowledge of God, even their mercies at times can be cruel because they don't understand and have that same knowledge of their animals. The knowledge of the animal, his beast, works out in how he treats the animal. That is the fruit of knowledge, which is wisdom. Wisdom is the fruit of knowledge. If we understand, or the knowledge gives us understanding, which then works out in wisdom of how we actually work out into everyday life. Many people say, look, don't give me all this doctrine. Don't give me all this knowledge. I want something practical. Well, let me tell you, without knowledge, there is no understanding. And without understanding, there is no wisdom. To actually understand this plant, animals, everything, we have to understand how it fits in in some measure into that big picture of God that God gives us. Wisdom is the practical outworking of the understanding that comes from true knowledge. And we find that unless we actually look at who God is and what Christ has done and everything, we simply cannot understand anything fully. It's not to say we won't have some knowledge, like half a book, but we won't have the whole picture. And so the person 
and work of Jesus is at the beginning and purpose of this plant. It continues to grow because he, that is Jesus, sustains all which he has created, including this plant. Go back into chapter 1 of Colossians, where Paul has already exalted Christ and he says about Jesus, he says, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things uh, hold together, or all things continue or persevere. And the truth about everything is wrapped up in Jesus. His command brought everything into existence. And we can answer the question about the origin of everything right there. And the origin of everything is an essential part of that truth, that knowledge of everything. Until we comprehend that, we won't really understand anything. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, the beginning of wisdom. And we find that in the person of Jesus, the creator, the Lord of Proverbs, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now, we can understand the origin of everything, but we may not necessarily be able to work out the purpose of everything in detail. But we rest in the fact that Jesus had a purpose in everything which he created. Even if our slow-minded people here, myself particularly, do not fully comprehend everything. There's a purpose in everything. In Ecclesiastes 3, the writer of Ecclesiastes says, I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He's made everything beautiful in its time. Even dandelions are beautiful. Wish I had slightly less beauty in my lawn. <laughs> but they're, they're amazing in their own right, even like flies. Enough said. Um, but but every, he's made everything beautiful in his time, but he's also put eternity, he goes on to say, into man's heart so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. So it's there in front of us, but just by our own efforts we are not going to be able to fully uncover what God has done. He reveals it to us. God has his purpose in everything. He's also put limits there on what we can find out for ourselves. Now, another verse which is important for us to understand in this context. John 14, verse 6, which of course everybody remembers. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And Jesus describes himself as the truth. The truth. He doesn't say the truth about. He doesn't say the truth in. He just says the truth. I am the truth. There is no qualification attached to it. There is no limit to that statement any more than there is a limit to I am the life. And Jesus is the truth about any, everything. And we find that the word of who was God spoke in Genesis to bring into existence everything that exists. And the same word spoke life into all the creatures of the sea and the land and the air and all the plants and to us. He's the origin and sustainer of all life, of our life. 
and of this little mint plant here. The beginnings and purpose are tied up with this word, with Jesus. One thing we notice is we discover in the Christian life that every day with Jesus is a new adventure. There's something new to be discovered, something new to be explored. The amazing thing is that with Christ, you can have a new adventure each day without even leaving home. There are things that surprise us afresh as we think upon Christ, as we walk with him, even if that walk is only to the letterbox. And it's like it says in the old hymn, uh, one of my favourites, loved with everlasting love. Led by grace, that love to know. Spirit breathing from above, thou hast taught me it is so. Oh, this transport all divine in a love which, uh, that, which cannot cease. I am his and he is mine. I skipped a line, that's why it didn't work. But let me get to verse 2, which is really where I want to go. He says, heaven above is softer blue. Earth around is sweeter green. Something lives in every hue that Christless eyes have never seen. Birds with gladder songs overflow, flowers with deeper beauty shine. Since I know, as now I know, I am his and he is mine. Have you ever been surprised in your own garden? Just walk past a flower that wafts its scent over you and you sit there and you think, wow. Beats all the artificial scents into a cock hat. It's just no, they're nothing compared with the real thing. Or you see the beauty in the skies overhead. Or a song of a bird or a sunset or a sunrise or a rainbow or clouds or the evening glow of the sky. Or even the stars and the moon as we look up. Or even if we look at a fly or another creature and stand amazed at how a bee moves from flower to flower. There's a grand adventure there. As we read parts of scripture too, we find this, this great uh, adventure continues. We find familiar passages and unfamiliar passages. And we see insights that we missed before. And our, our pulse goes up and understanding is enlarged as we contemplate new aspects of familiar truths. And I've discovered that I cannot read theology at night. I can, but I choose not to. Because I find then I often don't get to sleep. As you start to see things, which just opens up and blossoms in front of your eyes. And so Paul says to the, in effect to these Christians in Colossae and to us, he says, now that you are a Christian and have Christ in your lives, you want to go on to bigger and brighter and more fulfilling things? What are you thinking? Look at what you already have in Christ. One, one of the, the lies of the devil that he would like to sell to us is he would want us to think that there can be more in our lives than Jesus. But look at him. Don't neglect learning about him. Understand what you have already in Christ. And you will comprehend that in Christ you have everything. Nothing that you need is missed out. Nothing more can be added to you. Nothing more needs to be added. Christ, in him are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Except no inferior copies. 
There is no substitute. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You see, if we are instructed in Christ, we understand the end of everything. It's going to be disappear. Even all the gold is going to disappear. Okay, so if that's your, your life is tied up in gold, well, it's not going to go on forever. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break and steal. For he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where your treasure is. And Jesus here, uh, we, we find that the, you know, the, the, the writer here talks about these, uh, these amazing things. You know, Jesus gave us these two parables that we read before uh, in Matthew 13 which speak of the kingdom of God in terms of great value. Greg reflected on one of these in the children's talk, the treasure hidden in a field. And the other one speaks about finding a pearl of great price, of incomparable beauty. It is mentioned that the people concerned sold everything that they had to buy the field containing the treasure or to buy this amazing pearl. And of course, in our distorted understanding, we think about what it costs. And Satan says to us, you're going to have to give up all this to follow Jesus. But if you spoke to the people in the parables, what was their understanding? It was not what they gave up. They were happy to do that. It's what they gained. It's what they gained. They gained that treasure in the field. It was theirs. It was their possession. They gained this beautiful pearl of incomparable beauty. You can imagine them going around afterwards saying, Look at what I got. Not look at what I sold. Look at what I've got. What a delight. Is there anything like it? What a joy. What a blessing. And in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Again, except no inferior copies. So let's just finish with a few extra words. This is a one-point sermon, by the way. Let's focus on Christ. Okay, There's nothing else that comes close or can substitute what we have in him. Let's learn about him. Okay, That is doctrine. That is teaching. It is important because until we actually have knowledge of Christ, we cannot understand Christ. We cannot understand anything that he's done. We, when we know that Jesus is the one who spoke everything into creation, we can see that he has a purpose for everything. That's teaching. That's understanding. And then we become wise. You know, at first glance, when we actually look at the Bible, we may read through stuff which seems ordinary. But as we dig a little deeper, as we look a little closer, as we think about it a little longer, then we find that more of that wonder is revealed to us. It's like finding a nugget deep in the ground. And when you uncover just the edge of it, you get this glint of gold. And as you start to dig around it, you start to realize just how big this nugget is. And as you start to dig around further, you realize it goes further down and further out 
than you could possibly ever imagine. So that when we start digging, if you like, and exploring this treasure we have in Christ, we find that it is vastly bigger than we'd ever comprehend. Will you ever come to the end of the understanding of the glory of Christ? No. It's bigger than our eternity. It's bigger than our minds. It's bigger than our understanding. And we find that in him, these treasures of wisdom and knowledge continue to be discovered, and I suspect, for the whole of eternity. And this understanding, as we do that, we start to discern his purpose and everything he calls us to do. This understanding helps us to serve and honour him in our workplace, in our homes and families, in our communities. Jesus shows us the why for each of these things and so much more beside. Just take a moment to think about our work. Why do you work? Have to. Don't get groceries if I don't work. Why do you work? Okay. Is earning money to pay for food for the family a sufficient purpose? Yeah. Yeah, it is actually. It is. But also, I mean, there's other purposes that sort of dovetail with all of this where we can look for work which is going to be of profit to somebody else in terms of their enhancing their, their human experience. And so we can actually look for work that's going to be constructive and helpful rather than just ordinary stuff, you know, selling them cigarettes or something. Okay. And so we start to understand how our work fits into God's purpose. You can be a blessing to people. You don't have to be a doctor to do this. The plumbers also help with people's health. The work of teaching young people, old people. The work of being constructive in our communities. When we start to understand God's purpose in us, in Christ, we start to see how serving him can flow out into every part of our being and everything that I do. But working with our husbands or our wives or our children in our communities, there's a why for everything. And that why is why we do it. You're in your community. What did Jesus say about your neighbour? Can't think offhand. What did Jesus say about your neighbour? Love your neighbour. And that's part of God's purpose of putting you where you are. It may not seem all that adventurous, but it's real. It's real. And as we obey Christ in that context, not only do we become a blessing to our neighbours, it becomes a joy to us. The most amazing thing that comes out of this passage, we are shown that we can walk with this Jesus, this Christ, this creator and sustainer of the cosmos in every moment of our lives. That this God walks alongside you, with you, wherever you go, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, now, you want more than that? Really? You want more than that? It's not, it doesn't exist. It's all. He is with us. We get to talk to him. We get to listen to him. Wherever we are, he is with us. That sure makes a difference to our Mondays. Let's pray. Father God, 
deepen our understanding of who you are and of our Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory, but also in all his closeness. Father, deepen our walk with you. Deepen our fellowship with you. Deepen our knowledge and our understanding so that in everything, oh Father, you would help us to see and honour and love and serve you. Father, we're just overwhelmed at how great this, this, this opportunity is and this challenge is. Father, forgive us for the times when we made stupid decisions, selfish decisions, which have undermined our joy in you, but help us to focus on Christ. Thank you that he is our sufficiency, our completeness, our strength. Help us, Father, even through this week, as we go on a new adventure each day, to know your hand with us, opening our eyes to behold all the glories you've set before us in Christ and in all the world that he's made. But Father, we ask too that you would preserve us in Christ so that we're not diverted by the, the subterfuges of the world into that which is at best second rate. Father, thank you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.